Welcome to the Clear Admit MBA Admissions Podcast. I'm Graham Richmond, and this is your Wiretaps for Monday, January 15th, 2024. I'm joined by Alex Brown from Cornwall, England. Alex, how are things going this week? Very good. Thank you, Graham. I have to ask, has it been cold there in, in England? Because it's been very cold in Paris, like un, un, unusually so. Yes, yes. Yeah, okay. Well, so I, I hope you're by the fire and have a cup of tea or something. Yeah, that's what it's yeah been. my fuel bill's <laughs> gone up. Yes. Uh, what's on tap this week in the world of MBA admissions? Is Are there any deadlines left? I feel like we had talked about some straggler schools that always camp out in like the second or third week of January here. Yeah, what's the, the classic straggler school? <laughs> MIT Sloan, maybe Stern as well. <laughs> yeah, Sloan and Stern and INSEAD also has an application deadline. Oh, good. INSEAD's okay. is round three, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So um, anything else going on? Like when, if I applied to some of these schools in the first week of January, when can I start to get interview invitations if I'm, if, if it's a school that does inv- interviews by invite only? Yeah. I mean, it depends which, which of the schools, right? Because Yale is notorious for releasing some decisions early um, um, before they, you know, clearly then do a deep dive re- reviewing the applications and then release more decisions later and Yale's not the only one that takes that process I think Tepper is another school that sort of has a similar type of process Tuck um, you'll we'll see, we'll see quite a few um, invitations coming out for Tuck um, typically early um, so there, there will be some schools that trickle out um, quite early um, but then you, you'll have schools like Harvard um, Wharton and and Booth and and, various other schools that'll have a certain deadline where they'll release all those round two decisions. And we're a little ways off for that yet. And Harvard will be the first of those to do that, I would imagine. Yeah, I feel like it's usually late Jan, early Feb. So there's still some time there. Uh, but in any event, I mean, I, yeah, so we'll, we'll see. I mean, I, I know that people have really um, probably worked very hard if you were applying in round two over the last couple of weeks, and you still have maybe a couple of schools to go here this week. But the next step is really interviewing. And so keeping an eye on what yes. you're going to need to do to prepare for that is smart. Uh, before we get into, you know, kind of some of the stuff that's been going on on the website, I did want to mention we have an event later this month. It's a real humans event where we're going to gather some current MBA students um, and have a kind of ask me anything. It's Jan- January 24th from 8 p.m. to 9 p.m. Eastern. Uh, you can sign up by going to bit.ly forward slash CA Real Humans. At last check, uh, students are joining us from uh, NYU Stern, Dartmouth, Tuck, uh, UW Foster, and then Georgetown McDonough. Uh, that list may change as we get closer. I know um, Vic and, and Mike on our team are always trying to get uh, even more students to join. So we'll see how that shapes out ultimately. Um, but stay tuned for that and, and sign up. Those are always really fun and, and just give you a chance to talk to folks who are literally on the front lines in these programs. So um, other than that, Alex, I thought you would find this interesting. We ran a story on the website about Berkeley uh, Haas and how the School of Business and the I think it's called the Rouser College of Natural Resources, also at Berkeley. They've introduced this joint degree. It's a new MBA, Master of Climate Solutions, 
Uh, and it's a dual degree program that is aimed at preparing, quote, the next generation of leaders in sustainability and climate action, end quote. Uh, the first class is going to be uh, able to join in the fall of 24. So it's like available now to apply to. It's a two and a half year long degree. So you get two master's degrees in two and a half years instead of you know what ordinarily would probably be like a three plus year process. And there's a capstone. There's you know there's there's some interesting kind of features within this dual degree program that get you out working and um, kind of on the front lines with with sustainability issues. So Alex, what do you think of this? Fantastic. We need more programs like this. I mean, yeah. And I I, I didn't realize that there's a capstone project associated with it too. So hopefully those capstones are really focused on on real good innovation in the climate space. Yeah, no, it's uh, that's exactly what it sounded like when I was reading about it. And um, yeah, so so read more on our site if you're interested in that. We did run a couple of admissions tips, again, trying to be timely. One of them was about data forms, which are the online application you know, components like everyone focuses on essays and recommendations and, and that sort of stuff or getting their transcripts in. But you also have to fill out all these forms, like where you list out your work experience and your salary and your titles and all the extracurricular activities you've pursued and just lots of odds and ends. And it takes a while. And so we have a tip there. There's also a video in our Admissions Academy series, which is free to watch for anyone that's registered on clearadmit.com, which is also free to do. Um, so yeah, check out that. I know obviously now we're getting down to the wire with just a couple more schools left with um, top schools left with big deadlines, but never hurts to read through this art. We have a lot of good advice on how to tackle the data forms. And then we also ran an admissions tip on resume versus application-based interviews, which I think is going to be of great interest to people who are now heading into the interview phase. So we went over the sort of differences. And once again, we have a video too, where we kind of explain, like, what does it mean to have a resume-based interview versus an application-based interview for business school? So Alex, I got to, I actually went and watched a little bit of that video and, um, Took me back to we had we had a good time in London when we made those videos. <laughs> yeah, no, fantastic. Yeah, um, and yeah, it, I I really encourage folks to watch that video series um, as they're prepping their applications and so forth because there's a yeah there's just a lot of yeah good good nuggets of insight I think. Yeah, the next thing I wanted to mention is we ran two real humans pieces on the website. Uh, we caught up with five students from MIT Sloan. And I just wanted to share a little nugget. So one of the students is a guy named Jake. Um, he used to work at NBC Universal. Uh, he was coordinator of drama development. So he was, um, you know, kind of doing some interesting work in the media and entertainment space before business school. And we asked him, like, why did you choose MIT uh, Sloan? And he said, having studied film and computer science in undergrad, I've long believed that technology is fundamentally reshaping the ways we create and consume media and that the impacts will only continue to grow to be more seismic. There's no better place to learn how to think about new technology than the MIT campus. Already, I've been able to talk to a number of the world's leading researchers about how generative AI impacts labor forces, and I've been able to ask them how I might look at similar questions in entertainment. So Jake is at MIT Sloan. Seems like he picked the right place, given this interest in that intersection of tech and, and media and stuff. Yeah, no, very, very good. I was just reading this morning about how the animation industry is being challenged by generative AI. So yeah. I'm, 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 I'm sure, I'm, yeah, I mean, the, the, the creative industries are really under a lot of pressure right now. 
Yeah, agreed. Um, I mean, we think about, we keep reading these articles about how, you know, actors are going to basically sell their likeness to be able to make movies that they don't even have to really act in or, you know, that like everything will just be sort of automated. It's going to be very strange. I don't know. We'll see how it, how it evolves. Yeah, I think, I, I think that, that kind of stuff works out well for those at the very, very top of the food chain. Right. Exactly. I think it's the regular actor and there are many of them that really struggle to make ends meet they're the ones that are in most um jeopardy yeah fair fair yeah i think you're right um the other school that we did a real humans for this past week um is Siebes in china and again we caught up with five students there for those of you who don't know it's an 18 month long mba program there are 121 students in the class so it's a small short duration or i guess you could say medium duration because uh, it's not as short as, as INSEAD um, program in china uh, we caught up with one of the students a woman named martina um, who actually worked in switzerland and where she's from uh, i guess or maybe she worked in asia as well it looks like from her background but she actually her family runs a business in switzerland that's in kind of the logistics domain and you know again kind of we asked like why why Siebes? and she said Siebes is the best mba in asia and I would like to continue my working career in China. So choosing Siebes and its location in Shanghai was the best decision for my MBA. And I think if you read the interview with her, you'll see she talks a lot about you know, her family. I think it's kind of logistics and maybe import and, and things like that. And so having a foothold into China for her probably makes sense. Um, but it's just interesting. I was reading, you know, we talked to like five different students there. And I, I don't know as much about that MBA program. I do know it's, you know, leading MBA program in China. Um, but it was just kind of cool to sort of learn more there. Yeah, there was a point in my career I nearly went over there for a year. Oh, really? To work at Seeds yeah. or yeah? Yeah. Oh, interesting. Well, I chatted with their admissions guy, and they were trying to get me to come over. Oh, um, wow. But but that was when they first started. So so this program is quite new. I remember when it first started. Yeah, me too. Um, um, you know, what fifteen twenty years ago? Yeah, very good. Obviously, if, you're, if your career is Asia-based or China-based, Siebes has got to be at the top of the list. Yeah, definitely. So interesting there. If you're looking at either MIT or Siebes, check out those Real Humans profiles. The last thing I wanted to share with you, Alex, before we talk about our candidates this week relates to the Chicago Booth Employment Report that was recently published. And so I'll give you the numbers as we always do, and I'd be curious to get your take. Uh, there were 628 students in the class uh, th that graduated in, in 23 here, and 84% of them were looking for work. It turns out that 9% were like sponsored, and then another 4%, uh, it says, either started their own companies or pursued entrepreneurial roles, which I take to mean they maybe joined an enterprise that's a startup, but maybe without a salary, or I, it was kind of unclear. But in any event, so 84% of the class are looking for a job. Uh, within three months of graduation, 96% had an offer. Uh, last year, that number was 97, so, so very similar. Um, and then it turns out this was kind of a fun fact. 55% of the people who got jobs were offered those jobs via the summer internship they had done the year, you know, the summer prior. So summer internships, a, a big gateway to those full-time jobs. Uh, the starting salary median was $180,000. That's up 5,000 from last year. So big number there. In terms of the industry breakdown, 38.6% of the graduating class went into consulting. That's up from 35 and I guess it was what, 35.5% last year. 32.6% uh, went into financial services. That's down slightly from 35% last year. Uh, tech is 15.5% 
That's actually up a tick. It was 14.9 last year. Healthcare, 2.8%. That's down a little bit. Uh, it was 4% last year. And then consumer packaged goods was the uh, fifth largest kind of industry that folks entered, and that was 2.2% unchanged from last year. Uh, 71 students, by the way, went to McKinsey. So Booth is great in that they share some of the granular kind of details about placements. So we know, um, and that's up, I think that's up like 10% from, from last year. So a lot, of, a lot of people go into MBB uh, when it comes to consulting. And then Alex, I'll give you the um, kind of regional numbers here. And then i just curious to get your thoughts on all this. So 29.8%, so let's call it 30%, landed in the Midwest. That's virtually unchanged from last year. 27% headed to the East Coast. That's down a couple percentage points. 22% West Coast. That's actually up a couple percentage points. And then 6% to the Southwest, 4% to the Mid-Atlantic, about 4% to the South, and 7% overseas. And really, all those numbers are kind of unchanged. So Alex, any thoughts on Chicago Booth's uh, placement report for the class of 23? No, I mean, overall, I think it's a good a, a, a good, a, a good report for, for, for Booth. Um, their, their average median starting salary looks about at par with other top M7 programs. Um, although you said it went up 5%. I mean, inflation in j- adjusted is probably not that big an increase. <laughs> yeah, that's but, right, yeah. <laughs> but, but 180 is still a very, very good number. Um, and just that slight increase to the West Coast and a slight uptick in tech tech recruiting yeah, is bucking the trend. the trend. Yeah, totally. Bucking the trend <laughs> with their with their peer schools in that tier. So, yeah. so that yeah, that's quite interesting actually. Yeah, I agree. I think MIT was the only other school that I feel like we saw you know also kind of doing fairly well in that domain. So, but yeah, it's it's very fascinating, and I think they should be really proud of these numbers. I mean, it's pretty yeah. impressive. Uh, I lied when I said we could get right into the candidates. I totally forgot. We got the most amazing email um, from a, a listener that I just wanted to share. Um, so this listener, I guess, heard us talking last week about how we didn't get any reviews or, or letters or, you know, kind of fan mail over the holidays and how we felt, you know, a little down about that. So she writes, hi, Alex and Graham. I went awe when you said that getting no emails or reviews over the holidays was like coal in your stockings. Haha. I'm definitely listening. 10 hours a week at minimum while I work, walk my dog, do my dishes. I even go back and listen to old episodes and still pick up new things every time I listen. I credit this podcast as one of the final kicks to get me to fully commit to applying for an MBA, which is no no small feat since at the beginning of 21, I had a hard no stance to the MBA and I fully believed both the process and the value of an MBA were not worth it. This podcast helped convince me that the opposite of both could be true for me. Another big mental hurdle for me was taking the GRE and and my GPA. Um, and so she goes on to talk about how she'd like to get a profile review. So I asked her to po- you know, post over to ApplyWire and stuff. Um, and she was saying she hopes if she does get a profile review that she gets a, this could potentially be a strong profile or... And otherwise, there's a lot to like here from you, Alex. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, so yes, yeah, so she's definitely listening. She knows all your catchphrases. <laughs> yeah. No, I like this. It, it sort of reminds me, I mean, why did she start listening? Was it because she wanted to convince herself that she was correct in her assertion that the MBA was a hard no? Yeah. Why not listen to a podcast about the MBA and, and have that reaffirmed? 
Um, it's kind of like me. I listen now to Tucker on X whenever he produces a new episode. Oh, wow. <laughs> but I swear to God, I'm never going to get converted to his ideology. Right. right. It's good. I guess you're, you know, know, know all, all the whole spectrum. Right? Oh, yes. <laughs> no, because I do. I do think actually there's a tendency for people to only listen to stuff that, you know, kind of they agree with. Right. There's that yeah, tendency yeah. in the bubble yeah. kind of thing. So yeah. um, anyway, yeah. I really appreciate that note that we received. So I wanted to thank her for sending that along. The last podcast thing I wanted to mention is that I was fortunate enough to sit down with Dr. Mike Christian, who's a, a leadership professor at UNC Keenan Flagler. Um, he's actually, I guess, technically the, the the chair for their organizational behavior department. Um, so really great guy. I think he was on the you know P and Q's uh, best professors top forty under forty or whatever. So an amazing guy. And we talked all about leadership. And you know, to some extent, we talked about how it you know how you present your leadership capacities and and work on your leadership profile for applying to business school but even more broadly like we talked about some really big picture things like can you teach leadership or is it just innate and you know just lots of really good tidbits so um, you should see that episode in the feed here where you're listening to this one but in case you missed it that came out I guess about a week ago so I wanted to mention that too um, as always people can write to us um, we love <laughs> love your notes so write to info at clearadmit.com use the subject line wiretaps Alex I know you picked out some candidates to talk about this week so should we move into that portion of the show I just want the answer because <laughs> I've not listened to the podcast Graham uh, is it innate or can it be taught well given that Professor Christian is a you know teaching <laughs> organizational behavior and leadership he does think that there are a bunch of things that um, you can learn. I mean, it's, you know, some people have some innate skill, but he thinks it's actually more taught than, um, more learnable than it is innate. So, <laughs> um, Excellent. Yeah, but tune in because he had a lot of better things to say. I mean, a lot of, you know, additional things to say, and, and he probably said them a lot more eloquently than I yeah, just yeah. did. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. anyway, all right. So, should we get rolling here with the candidates? Let's kick on. All right. So, this is Wiretap's candidate number one. Our first candidate this week is applying to five schools and actually dropped their applications, I believe, just this past round two. Um, so they've got Harvard, uh, London Business School, MIT Sloan, Kellogg, and Chicago Booth. Uh, the, those are the schools they're targeting. They have been working consulting. I'm pretty sure it's at Accenture, they mentioned. And they're going to be um, staying in that industry, but looking to go maybe work at Bain, BCG, or McKinsey after business school. Their GMAT score is a 710. Their GPA is a 3.65. Uh, they've had seven years of work experience to date. They mentioned they are located in Southeast Asia, but not Singapore. We'll talk more about <laughs> why they specified that in, in a moment. Um, they would love to land in either the US or potentially the UK after business school. And they mentioned that that 365 GPA from undergrad was in international relations, and it was at a top 40 US college. So despite living in Southeast Asia, and I believe being from that region, they did go to the U.S. for undergrad. And they mentioned that they were originally going to do kind of a, an IR-related career, so you know international relations. But they had a last-minute change and ended up at Accenture. And they've been there, I guess, for more than five years now. Uh, and they are a manager. Um, so they've really moved up in the ranks there. 
And they mentioned that they don't think that their GMAT is very strong, um, but they've had a lot of really good work experience with Accenture. Um, you know, th there was no official strategy practice in the country that they're working for Accenture in, and they, they kind of helped build that out. Uh, they've got some good extracurricular activities, most of which involve um, the education domain, helping um, mostly around like teaching people business education um, in, in like high, at the high school level. And again, they want to join a top strategy consultancy after business school, and then they want to return home to the re somewhere in Southeast Asia um, and join a strategy or business development function in a leading company uh, in that market. So Alex, what do you make of this candidacy? Because there's a lot of interesting stuff going on in terms of where they've worked and their undergrad in the US and stuff, but you know the numbers don't jump off the page when it comes to the test score. Yeah, I mean, I think that's clearly the weakest area of the of the profile, and it's still a you know in the grand scheme of things, it's a very good GMAT score. Just relative to the medians of the top schools that they're targeting, it's below yeah um, that median. It will be within range, right? So there'll be plenty of folks that um, get admitted to the schools that they're targeting with a lower GMAT. So it's not a disastrous score no. by any means. But if this candidate had this exact same profile with the 730, 740 GMAT, um, yeah, I'd be like, they should be targeting M7, and, you know, they, they, they target five of the M7, which is effectively what they've done, four of the M7 plus London Business School. Right. Um, they're going to get a couple of options at least. But the 710 does make me a bit queasy. So... Um, I, I really like their professional experience in as much as, you know, they're, they're working in a country that didn't have a particular office for um, strategy consulting that is their sort of um, interest and focus. Um, but they've helped set that up, or at least that's my understanding, and they've sort of helped, you know, not sort of necessarily pioneer that in, in their region, but, I mean, really push push it out there a little bit. Um, which which seems to be very good. Um, and I also really like their extracurriculars. It looks like they've really been focused on um, helping innovate business curriculum um, at, at the school level, at the high school level, and, and, right. and so on and so forth, working with NGOs on business education, um, et cetera. So um, I have to say there's a lot to like about this profile. I mean, their GPA, I think, is pretty fine, right? 3.65 um, from a top 40 U.S. college. As an international student, I think that's quite good in the U.S. Um, but I do, I, I, I still struggle back to the GMAT. I mean, um, is it the kiss of death? I don't think so, but it definitely sort of brings things back just a little bit. Yeah. You know, here's what I think is going to happen with this candidate. So they've applied to a very top list of schools. Like you yeah. said, it's really M7 type schools. Um, and yet their test score is a bit lower. And, I, and you know, we don't know what market they're from. They said not Singapore, but, it, you know, it could be Thailand, Indonesia. Um, I mean, Malaysia. There are a lot of potential markets they could be coming from. But I think in most cases, they they could be viewed as overrepresented. Uh, I, you know, if I were a top school, I might end up waitlisting this person and seeing if they make a move on the test um, to boost yeah. their score. So they, they could end up in that bucket. I do think it is risky, given these numbers, to have put all their eggs in these sort of top school kind of basket. Like I, I would have, if I were advising them earlier on, I would have said cast a slightly wider net um, because, yeah. you know, 
or obviously if it was earlier on, I would have said, you know, retake the test <laughs> um, too. But in any event, I, we'll see. I mean, it is impressive what they've done. Like it sounds like Accenture was probably mostly doing, you know, IT related projects and, and yeah. you know, that kind of stuff that they normally do. Um, That's what and, they're known for, right? Yeah. So you think someone yeah. working at Accenture, it's more um, on, on the ops side and the, and the IT right. side. And, and they're very good at it, right? So, yeah. you know, not to dismiss that. But, yeah, they're a strategy consultant within Accenture. Yeah, So they and they've helped build that, you know, out. So, yeah, yeah so there's, there, there is a lot to like here. And, you know, they, so I would say, you know, the career stuff is great. The plan, you know, the plan they have for their career, their experience, um, their outside activities – and and even their undergraduate GPA, top forty U.S. school, three six five. So maybe maybe we're being a little too harsh. I mean, maybe some of these top schools will look past what's a below average GMAT score for them. But I don't know. We'll we'll have to see how it shakes out. I mean, I do want to wish them the best of luck. And I think that if it doesn't work out and they end up on a wait list, you know, obviously first step would be um, prep hard and and take the test again, and maybe that'll move the meter. But we we shall see. Um, anything else? What, you want what to- about pre- what, what about prepping and taking the test at the end of January? in case you get an interview invite and then letting the school know yeah it wouldn't be the worst thing to do i i don't know this person's comfort level with the tests and stuff but if they were sort of like yeah i I took it i wasn't really um happy with the result i know i could do better and and they're not like test nervous or something they they could yeah go out and take it again quickly and get a better score uh rather than wait to be told like oh we're gonna put you on the wait list or something yeah yeah and the stupid thing is a, a bump of 10 or 20 points is gonna make a difference yeah, it is silly. I, I know. And I remember feeling, I, I, I've been on both sides of this equation, both yeah. in the admissions office and as a candidate. So I know it's it's kind of this like silly hurdle that you have to get past. But in any event, we'll, we'll see where they land. Hopefully they'll keep us posted. Um, but yeah, I think as long as they know this might be coming in terms of having to take the test again, one way or the other, it's uh, that'll help them. So, all right. Uh, shall we move on and talk about Wiretap's candidate number two. (laughs) Um, Let's move on. Yeah. All right. So this is Wiretap's candidate number two. We've got a candidate who is targeting next fall, and they have 10 schools on the target list. And those schools are Columbia, Cornell, Dartmouth, Duke, Harvard, MIT, Kellogg, Chicago, Wharton, and Yale. So a a lot of schools. Um, This person has been working in tech and entrepreneurship before business school. They would love to get either stay in tech or maybe get into VC or continue that entrepreneurial route after business school. Their GMAT score is a 720, and they have a GPA of 3.22. They've got five years of work experience. They are located in Atlanta. And they mentioned, um, they actually had some very specific questions for us. They said that they've heard a lot about overrepresented candidates, and they want to understand how it works. So for example, are overrepresented candidates categorized based on race or citizenship? So, they, and they specifically say, are Chinese Americans, Korean Americans, or Indian Americans categorized as overrepresented? Um, and then they also wanted to know how much does the undergraduate GPA matter? They said that they transferred after one year at a community college where their GPA was 3.8, but that their ultimate, <laughs> uh, you know, undergrad GPA was a 3.22. Um, they did go to a decent engineering school where they had like a double major. Um, they did dual engineering degrees, basically. But they're wondering if 3.22 is kind of a deal breaker. So, Alex, I'll let you weigh in. What do you make of this candidacy? Some very good questions, by the way, from the admission strategy side here. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm not sure. You said they're applying next season. Do, do we know that? No, no. I think they're applying. It says, well, I wonder, actually, because it said intake year 24. So I assume yeah. they're applying now. No? 
Yeah, sorry, I thought you said yeah. next season. No, this no, season. Sorry. Yeah, 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 this season. Yeah. I got you. Yeah, very good. Yeah, I mean, obviously, the three two two GPA is um, significantly below the median for the schools that they're targeting, um, and. Um, you know, that's going to be challenging, even though they did a dual degree and a, a, a double major in, in engineering, um, which is, is going to be quite challenging, um, one would assume. Um, uh, it's, it's still, they've got to get over that. Now, I think they, they pro, you know, they're first generation immigrant. Right. Um, sounds like they went to a community college for a year and then transferred in. Um, so that sort of first generation immigrant story um, may certainly have impacted um, their, their sort of academic um, performance if they just arrived in the U.S. just before their undergrad and, 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 and so forth. Mm-hmm. Um, so there might be something to address there in the, in the optional essay um, um, in, in, in that regard. Yeah. Um, the 720 GMAT, again, it, it's a very decent GMAT, but... It's, it's not going to be a standout GMAT, and it's certainly below the median of a few of the schools that they're targeting. They're targeting basically the M7 and the, and the next tier behind that. Um, so, so they're being quite ambitious in, 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 in those targets. Um, they, their big question is, you know, are they an overrepresented um, majority or minority, whatever you want to call it, um, and, and what is the impact of that? And, and they could well be. And, you know, the impact is basically how do they differentiate themselves um, a little bit further from others that might be similar to them applying to these top programs. Um, that's always the case, no matter what, what overrepresentation you are, whether it's race or citizenship or whatever it might be, um, as they asked. Um, but, um, I, you know, it, I, I'm, I'm assuming that they're a U.S. citizen, um, mm-hmm. I don't know that we know that, but I'm assuming they are. Um, so, so that I think gives them a little bit of a leg up um, versus a, a national from the country from 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 where they originated. They have that U.S. experience, which I think is is a feather in their cap. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I think that that can be helpful um, um, to them. Um, so then, the the next piece is sort of their their um, you know, professional experience, how that's helped them stand out, as well as their um, um, extracurricular sort of life experiences and so forth, and how does that help them stand out. And I quite like some of the stuff that they've done, their entrepreneurship, um, lo- looking like they've got some interest in the food industry. Um, and, and if they can tie all that together and show their growth and their impact and how that then ties well to their post-MBA goals, I do think that they can differentiate themselves, Graham. And that's the key, yeah. right? How do they differentiate themselves? Um, and, you know, that still comes back, though, to this one issue, that 322 GPA is going to be probably, I think, the weakest element of this um, overall profile, how harmful, I don't know, but that's going to be the weakest element. Much like our prior candidate's weakest element was the 710 um, on the GMAT. 
Yeah, I mean, this is a really interesting case in that, I mean, imagine for a moment an essay, and maybe it's an optional essay, or maybe it's a, a regular essay, because it depends on the, the, the question the school's asking. But imagine an essay about how, you know, this person arrived in the U.S., maybe they were still in grammar school or middle school or something, who knows, right? And, and had to learn a new language, uh, and then found their way to community college, found their way from there to a, a, a well-known, from what they say, engineering school. Um, where they did a, du- a dual degree um, in, in engineering and, you know, 322, as you say, below average, but, you know, some hurdles there along the way that they would have had to have overcome to kind of integrate and get get to, get up to speed with the language, et cetera. So I could see, you know, a compelling story. Um, I mean, what's interesting is, you know, their career since, I mean, they've, you know, they've worked in tech as a software engineer, but they've also on the side co-founded an early stage tech startup. Um, as you said, in the food industry. So they're, you know, they're doing a lot. And it, this sounds like a motivated individual. Um, but then we come back to, well, is is this viewed the same? You know, they mentioned, we don't know which where they're from, but they mentioned China, Korea, and India as potential markets that this person has come from. And yeah, so it gets into this sort of nitty, the, the kind of... Um, I don't know what, what the word is, nitpickiness of like, well, what does define an underrepresented or a bootstrapper and all these things? And so, yeah, I would just encourage them to obviously keep this stuff to the fore when it comes to the hurdles that they've overcome. And I mean, it sounds like they've um, done quite well in the end. And yeah, but but I do agree with you. They're, they've got a pretty high-end list of schools and the academic piece isn't jumping off the page. And I, I don't know enough about the work experience. It sounds promising, but I don't know if it's like they've had five jobs in five years or if it's like, no, they've been at the same tech company for five years and they've simultaneously founded their startup. And you know that would be a little more consistent and easier um, to understand. So yeah, it's an interesting case though. I, I don't really know where this person's gonna land. I mean, it's, yeah, they don't have a safety here on the list. <laughs> yeah, they don't. But I, I'll also just add, they were super busy in undergrad. Mm-hmm. Um, so whether it's, you know, work, working on entrepreneurial stuff, as well as a lot of EC supporting diversity and inclusion and so forth, right. which I would assume is a legacy of their own background, right? right. So, so that tends to happen. You work on issues and causes that are directly related to you and your life experience. Um, so, so, so that's good, but um, it also begs the question of sort of overall sort of time management and so forth. If you were so super busy in, in college that compromised your GPA, then Adcom might wonder what were your priorities, um, you know, in terms of academic priorities and so forth. So they've got to make sure that they address all of that um, in, in, in a fashion that basically says, you know what, when I come to your MBA program, I'm going to be super involved because I've got a history of doing that um, yeah. at college. Um, but also, I'm also going to be really successful in the academic um, sphere. Yeah, agreed. Well, I want to wish them the best of luck. Um, hopefully, they'll keep us posted and hopefully we've managed to answer their questions. I mean, I, you know, undergraduate GPA does matter to answer their question very directly. Um, and a 322 is a little bit low. Um, but, you know, typically you can address it with a really high test score or other things, as we often say on the show. So in any event, um, hope they keep us posted. Let's move on, though, uh, and talk. I'll ask you a question, Graham. Sure. What do you prefer, a 3.6 and a 700 GMAT or a 
750 GMAT and a 3.0. Oh, man. Uh, I think the 3.6, because at least from my conversations with admissions officers, you know, the, those four years of earning a GPA are, are tend to be weighted a bit more heavily than a one-time yeah. taking of a test. So um, I'd like both, though, ideally. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, all right, let's move on, though, and talk about Wiretap's candidate number three. So our final candidate this week um, comes from a decision wire entry that you selected, Alex. And this person, as all the ones we've been discussing these past few weeks, doesn't know where to go. So I'll tell you, they applied to Chicago Booth, Harvard, Michigan, Kellogg, Wharton, and Darden. And it looks like they ran the table with the exception of Wharton. So I don't know, Wharton didn't didn't admit them. Um, So they got into Booth with no money. They got into Harvard with $40,000 of need-based scholarship. They got into Michigan with $150,000 scholarship. Kellogg admitted them with $100,000 and then Darden with $120,000. This person's starting this coming fall. They want to work in consulting or potentially consumer goods. They've got Bain, BCG, and McKinsey on the list for that consulting short-term goal. They had a 740 on the GMAT and a 3.7. So there you go. Those are the numbers that we want, (laughs) that we were asking before. Uh, They're located in Minnesota, and they said they're looking to pivot into management consulting immediately post-MBA and then move into strategy at a retail or food kind of CPG company in the long term. And they are, you know, kind of struggling here. And they did mention that for them, it's come down to be kind of between HBS with the 40 grand, Kellogg with 100, or Ross with 150. And they specifically say, you know, that they they think consulting recruiting is more about the person than the school, or that they've heard that, and that they wouldn't necessarily mind tier two. So they're saying, I think they mean tier two consulting firms, like non-MBB. And they say, so it's hard not to consider the full ride at Ross. Um, so that's kind of where they are. They're a little nervous about HBS. They also talked about how they're a bit shy and they're not sure the case method is the right thing for them. Um, and so, yeah, so they're between those schools. But what would you do if you were this candidate, Alex? I, I think this is super interesting, <laughs> right? So I'm going to ask you, Graham. Okay. Harvard, Kellogg, or Ross. So let's just eliminate all the others just for the sakes of this conversation. Which of the three programs on aggregate will give you most access to most opportunity? Well, I mean, I think, you know, barring any recent <laughs> scandals, I would have said, you know, HBS. I mean, you know, right. Harvard. So, I mean, yeah. that's that's just the way it is. You can qualify it all you <laughs> like because we love Kellogg, we love Ross. But Harvard would provide most opportunity. Kellogg, second most opportunity, and Ross, third most opportunity. Just because of their relationships with recruiters and alumni out there in the marketplace, and we see it from career reports year in, year out. I mean, there are reasons why there are tiers to to the system, and we're big advocates of that. Now, I'm a huge, huge fan of Kellogg. I'm a huge fan of Ross. Um, But the reality is... If you want to go to a program to maximize your opportunities, I'm not saying guaranteed placement, I mean, but to maximize your opportunities to access, for access to thing, then you have to go to Harvard, right? Now, 
But the question then becomes, okay, there, there is some financial implications in this decision-making. Um, um, Kellogg's offering um, a, a good um, award of 100K versus, I think, Harvard's 40K. Yeah. And, and Ross is a freebie, right? Um, so, so that, to some extent, sort of mitigates the more limited access to opportunity. Um, and maybe... I would say puts the, you know, maybe makes Kellogg a, a real viable um, 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 debate versus Harvard. Um, but, but, you know, you can't get away from the reality that Harvard will provide you most access. I think that's un, unequivocal. But the, at the end of the day, it sort of gets to something that I wrote about in the admissions book. And I'm not saying this necessarily relates to this particular candidate, but for some candidates, for sure is I, my assumptions are always that if you get into these if you're getting into these top tier MBA programs Harvard Ross Kellogg they're all sort of top tier in a broader sense um, then you, you your ambition is to sort of go on and rule the world and really have real significant impact and so forth and therefore you should go after the best program that can enable you to do that but as this candidate points out they'd be quite happy with a tier 2 consulting pathway after MBA um, and they want to obviously move into consumer packaged goods and I would assume that both Kellogg and Ross can provide a pretty decent pathway mm-hmm. into both into obviously both consulting both because they're both very good for consulting sure. but into consumer packaged goods too because of their location if nothing else um, so maybe there is a case um, for, for, for you know, some candidates to say, you know what, money matters more, i.e. The, the, the cost of it, than, than access to the, the most lofty, ambitious sort of types of goals. So if that is the case, and that's the case for this person, you can make a good case for Kellogg. Less so, I think, Ross versus Harvard, but certainly for Kellogg. And, 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 and yeah, that might, might be it. And, and, but I wouldn't, you know... I, I wouldn't not go to Harvard because you're concerned about the case method. I'd go to Harvard if you are shy simply because of the case <laughs> method because it would really challenge you, right, and, and really allow you to, 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 you know, really, I think, potentially perform very well. And there's no doubt this person is wicked smart, right? You don't, you don't get a 740 GMAT and a 3.7 GPA um, if you're not someone that can really thrive in, in a case study environment. So, um, so yeah, I, I, it, 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 I, I think the answer should be clear. But as I've, you know, just suggested, maybe it's not so clear. Maybe <laughs> Kellogg could be a good option. I mean, so two things. If I'm going to play devil's advocate, I would say... Um, obviously, Kellogg's going to offer really good access to MBB placements. Um, second, oh, we've got to be quick too. We've yeah. gone forty minutes. Oh, I minutes. know, I know. And then and the second yeah. thing I was going to say is, <laughs> is that uh, you know the case method is obviously used very extensively at HBS. It's their primary method of instruction. But Kellogg yeah. is also a huge case, me- case method school. 
Um, they're probably right up there with HBS and, and Darden, uh, if I'm thinking of the three schools that use the case method most. So yeah, yeah, this person's yeah. going to get that opportunity either way. Um, I do think that the Harvard versus Kellogg debate is a legitimate debate in this instance, um, but given given what the candidate has told us. But, you know, it's not easy. Um, and, and as you say, you know, it's uh, this person's, you know, obviously smart and, and people going to these top schools are ambitious. And so it, it's, it is a tough call. I do think, though, one thing that we can say is that it probably is between those two schools for me, um, given the, the yeah. amount of money that Kellogg's offering them. I just don't see. Uh, so in any event, that that's, yeah, so they need to noodle on this some more based on what we've said. Um, but yeah, great one, Alex. I appreciate you picking this out because it's a really interesting debate. Um, and as you point out, we've gone way over time this week, hopefully uh, enough nuggets of, <laughs> of good admissions advice that kept people tuned in. Um, but Alex, let's connect again in one week's time and do this all again, if you're willing. <laughs> Very good. Stay safe, everyone. Take care.